Uh, we're going to cross now to John Bonfilio, who's the Latin American correspondent. And uh, good morning to you. Very early Sunday morning to you, John. And if we can start with what is going on in Buenos Aires in Argentina at the moment. And this is um, March. This is protesters who are protesting against a new bill. Explain more. Yeah, Argentina's had a had a busy week, uh, Penny, and this is tailing it all off. So there are hundreds of women that have been protesting outside Congress uh, during the course of today and and late into the night, essentially protesting uh, the, the re still relatively new president Alberto Fernandez's uh, bill that he's presented to Congress to essentially legalize abortion up to uh, 14 weeks in Argentina. Uh, at the moment, it's uh, completely illegal, except for in cases of of rape or or the mother's health um, and it's no surprise really because it was a campaign promise from the from the new president and essentially it would have been presented to congress a number of months ago had it not been for the covid uh for the covid crisis but the expectation is that he's going to present it this week and so you've had a uh, or there has been and there is currently being a protest in the streets of buenos aires uh protesting this this uh this upcoming bill of course contextually <coughs> excuse me latin america you know highly catholic continent and region one of the most uh, strict uh, anti-abortion um, litigations laws right internationally um, only legal currently in in cuba uruguay and in and in mexico city and in some cases like really massively uh, you know penalized in el salvador a number of uh, high, really uh, high profile cases over the course of the last few years where women have uh, miscarried and uh, have been sent to jail because the the the, the courts have said uh, the state has have said and the court has upheld that the women try to um, to, to generate their own abortion and have, have have been condemned to to life in prison. It seems that you know whatever happens in terms of protest that this that the the legalization of abortion is going to be passed in in Argentina whether it's this week or or in a few weeks time and that's going to be seismic uh, regionally in terms of you know Argentina being one of the major one of the biggest countries, biggest economies, and real, really kind of flagship countries in in the region. And for for Argentina to pass this law is really going to going to make waves across the region. Yeah, and of course the point is that there has been, it's a, a huge cause of maternal death. Uh, that is part of the reason why they want to actually legalise it. Also, as you mentioned, it has been uh, a big week in Argentina because of Diego Mar Maradona and the and the funeral. Yes, um, hot in the heels of, you know, lots of people on the streets of, of Buenos Aires just a, a few days ago on, on Thursday now. It was tens of thousands of people um, flocking by the presidential palace to see uh, the coffin of, of Diego Maradona uh, lying in states, including Cristina um, Fernandez de Kirchner, previous president, and various other high-profile high figures. And in fact, towards the end, they had to to take the body off of, of Maradona to, to be buried, um, which caused an issue because there were still thousands and thousands of people lining up to, to see him, and it caused ructions in, in the streets with police having to fire uh, tear gas and, and rubber bullets. It's really, I mean, the global reaction, as you will have seen from the UK, you know, linked to Maradona's death has been has been huge. Um, you know, a really important figure uh, internationally because of his, his genius, but also I think because of his, you know, his flawed human character but it's really difficult to overstate uh, the the reaction the, the perception of maradona the man and the footballer in argentina and also the, the the reaction to his death really argentina seen nothing like this since since eva peron 
um, now a number of, of decades ago. And if you think about it in a, in a UK context, I've been trying to think of a, of a situation in which something similar to this has happened in terms of the national reaction. And I think we go back to Diana. I think that's as close as, you know, a parallel I can draw between the two countries and the reaction to a, to a national figure dying. It, it really is uh, something that swept the world. I think only perhaps the city of Naples is rivaling Argentina in the outpouring of, of grief and, uh, and celebration of Maradona's life. Now, moving on to uh, elsewhere in South America, there is, uh, so we talked about sweeping protests, but there's a, a fairly natural danger sweeping through in the form of Hurricane Iota. Um, what, what stands or who stands in the way of that? Well, it's now um, diminished, but essentially Hurricane Iota struck hot on the heels of Hurricane Eta two weeks after uh, that particular hurricane passed and essentially struck right into the same area of Nicaragua uh, and Honduras as, as that hurricane did. Statistically, 60 dead, 40 still missing. But I think the key figure here is that there are 150,000 homeless in Honduras. And contextually, I think there's a couple of things that are really worth mentioning here. One is the region that, the, that these hurricanes have struck into in terms of Central America comes up in the news all the time, you know, in terms of Central American migrants coming through Mexico and on up in, into the and on up into the U.S. And of course, it's a hot political you know, and humanitarian issue. But contextually, natural disasters in this area have always been prevalent. And now with you know, with, with climate change accelerating, they're happening even more. And then you add to that, you know, massive problems with, uh, with crime and insecurity, then the COVID situation, of course, of this year and a related economic crisis. And the fact that these countries didn't have, you know, much of a, um, much of a, a governmental or state infrastructure in the first place. Um, so you, you, you can imagine what that's going to do to the movement of people and really to the, to the suffering of people there as well. And also contextually in terms of climate change, I mean, 2020 has been the most active Atlantic hurricane season on record. It's had 30 storms, 13 hurricanes, six major hurricanes. Everything I'm saying now is, is a, is a record, is a historical record. It's the second season to have to, has had to use a Greek, Greek alphabet because we've run out of figures in the, in the Latin alphabet, 12 storms made landfall in the contiguous U.S. this summer alone. And it's the sixth consecutive year with pre-season systems. So with, with hurricanes and storms happening before the traditional um, season. And in terms of, you know, the climate change context, this hurricane season has cost, it's estimated, 41 billion U.S. dollars in damage. And, you know, with the current situations and what's taking place, those, all of those figures are only going to be amplified. And when we think about that cost and the impact of rebuilding, we see images of places like Honduras and, and where people are facing the economic challenge of what it will take to rebuild. But layer on top of that, surely, the impact of COVID. Um, and is there even enough in the way of resources to be able to help and support people, particularly those in poverty, to rebuild? No, I mean, even in a, even in a best case scenario, you know, where the sun was shining and the roads were open um, and the government was functioning effectively, the, the state of um, the, the positioning and the geography of, of Central America and where these communities are makes it nigh on impossible to, to, to reach them and, and give assistance and, and generate help and rebuilding. And as I was saying before, you know, this is a, a wave of, of complexities that has historically beset the region and is, and is continually being amplified with everything that's taking place. And, you know, if you are somebody with a house that's underwater for the seventh time this year, that's lost everything, that's lost 
loved ones uh, that, you know, maybe your crop, probably because, you know, a lot of these places don't have jobs. They have small, you know, micro economies based around people having animals or um, or some crops. And in these kinds of contexts, you lose you lose absolutely everything. So, so what are you going to do? Is it possible to rebuild? I mean, almost certainly no. Um, and all that all that's going to happen is that that's going to. Uh, increase, you know, the, the decision making in many of these communities of people to just decide to, to move on. And then those problems are going to be felt and recognized and seen and expressed elsewhere in different countries on different borders. And we're going to be hearing about the after effects of, of these hurricanes in different contexts over the course of the next few weeks and, and months and, and years. Yes, I mean, I've been reading about some of the islands that have, uh, have had 80 percent of all buildings destroyed and you just think how on earth can uh, can they come back from that particularly when you consider as you say that often these pe- the, the people who live there are living uh, i suppose we'd say hand to mouth wouldn't we really they they go out they fish for the for the food that night they they grow their own vegetables it's it's that sort of thing and then on top of that as craig was saying You've got coronavirus, and, and how are are there countries in Central and South America? Are there countries that everybody else is looking at with envy and saying, "Look, they seem to have actually sorted this out." In a in a COVID context, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I mean, Central America managed to, to lock down pretty pretty early on, and there's been various different reactions around, um, you know, di- depending on the political figure at the, at the head of these countries and, and so on. Um, COVID hasn't affected the countries in Central America in the same way and in the same, uh, with the same ferocity as it has your likes of, of Mexico, Argentina, um, the US and, and so on. But the, as I know, is being debated continually. UK at the moment, that the lockdowns that have taken place in Central America have economically exacerbated already, you know, subterraneanly bad yeah, economic systems in which, as you say, correctly, you know, people live day to day and when they, it, it, and largely in the informal economy, so they have to go out and work, they have to go out and, and farm, etc. So it's not as though there's a safety net, it's not as though there's, you know, this government support that's coming in to uh, to the bank balances and actually where there has been, for example, in, in Peru, I know that's not Central America, but a little bit further down, where there has been government support uh, in terms of, you know, paying paying workers wages to stay at home because so many workers don't have bank accounts that that's actually forced people to go into banks to, to cash checks, which actually was one of the reasons why Peru had a major spike in COVID cases because people were going into overcrowded banks to, to cash those checks to get some money to take home to put food on the table and so on. In terms of the, you know, the sheer scale of, of, of COVID, no, it's not, it's not quite the same in, in, in Central America. But again, I think it's, it's cumulative. You know, you add that onto the previous situation, the previous situation before that. Um, and it's just, it, it's a continual, aval- you know, snowball down the, down the slope. John, thank you so much for staying up very late for us to talk to us this morning. That's John Bonfilia, the Latin American correspondent.